Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise that your word would so edify us and lift us up. I thank you, Lord, for what you've given us, that you would even take the time to leave us your word, that we would have the owner's manual to refer to every time the machine messes up. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your mercy, and especially, Lord, I thank you for your patience. And I pray in Jesus' name. All right. Chapter 28, uh, verses 1 through 22. That's all of it. Uh, And tonight, we're going to be looking at uh, Jacob hightailing it, taking off. Uh, He had a rough chapter 27. Uh, Things that... (laughs) Yeah, your brother's going to kill you, get out of town. Other than that, everything's ducky. Uh, I could title this... uh, this teaching three blessings, and I guess I did, but that came at the very last moment. Uh, tonight, as we study 28, let's spend a little time recapping 27, just as a, a, a basic foundation for tonight. Uh, some of the books of the Bible seem to uh, to go almost like like a point by point or verse by verse, like James. James has a lot of teachings in one chapter. You know, he'll go from one thing to another thing to another. And then other books of the Bible seem to go chapter to chapter, where you, each chapter builds on the preceding chapter. And that's what we're doing tonight. What's happening in chapter 28 is a d- direct result of what happened in chapter 27. Uh, this is, uh, it's like a narrative, what we're studying here. The first word in, in uh, Genesis 28, 28, 1, is then. It's a direct link to chapter 27. It goes direct. It's just saying, and then this happened. It's, uh, chapter 27 recap, real briefly, uh, <laughs> reads like something out of All My Children, or, you know, as the, as the world turns, or, you know, Dallas. It's like Dallas. Uh, in, in verse 1 uh, through 4, we find Isaac's deathbed, uh, request to Esau, uh, request that was contra- contrary to the revelation of God to Sarah, and I have to assume I didn't study, I didn't dig deep enough to find out if, if this is exactly correct, but I think it is. There's no record of Sarah telling this to Isaac, but there's no uh, scripture saying she didn't re- reveal it to him either. Uh, it's logical to assume that that Sarah revealed God's revelation to her husband. In chapter 25, the Lord explained to Sarah what the struggle she was experiencing uh, was all about. As Tony said last week, that struggle is still going on. Genesis 25:22. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Still Isaac was ready to transfer the blessing of Abraham to Esau. This is wrong. This is wrong. He knew. He knew that God had said this to Sarah. I'm sure he did. Uh, And then in verses... uh, Ten through uh, five through ten, uh, Rebecca advises. Rebecca's mom advises Jacob, uh, and she she devises this plot. 
that she's not going to let the blessing of Abraham be bestowed upon Esau. Uh, There was definitely a divided favoritism between mother and father. Isaac wants to bless Esau while Rebekah is looking looking out for Jacob. should be noted that Jacob is a very willing accomplice. He's a very willing accomplice in all this scheming. And this creates a huge divide. And that's why it reminded me of a soap opera. Because all this stuff is going on behind the scenes. Now, maybe to some people, it may seem blasphemous uh, to refer to the Word of God as a soap opera. But I think soap operas came from God, not from uh, uh, not the other way around. Uh, the, these these folks are not the coolest folks in the world here. They're not really cool people. Uh, and basically, both Jacob and Esau are victims. Uh, of their parents' favoritism. Uh, Genesis twenty-five twenty-eight, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This is a problem. This is a real problem, and that's what, what spawned chapter 28 that we're studying tonight. The term spoiling your ch- children definitely applies here. If we look at the actions and attributes of these two brothers, to me, they, they both act like, uh, like spoiled, entitled children. They really do. Uh, in verses 11 through 17, the, pre- the preparations are made for this great deception, this huge deception that goes on. And we should, we should remember from last week's study how elaborate these plans were. And also, once, once again, what a willing accomplice Jacob was. Jacob was right in this. Chapter 27, verse 11, he says, And Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. Well, duh, because you are. (laughs) And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. So he was shooting for the blessing, but he was worried about getting a curse. Uh, He was very much in it and very much looking out for his own uh, smooth skin. In verses 18 through 27, uh, they, that deals with Jacob's charade, uh, his, uh, his play acting, and the outright deception that's penetra- uh, perpetrated on his father. This elaborate scheme is carried out. Lies, even props, coverings for his skin. Uh, absolute disrespect for God. Absolute disrespect for God. And also for his father. Uh, when we lie to anyone, we disrespect God, and we disrespect the person that we're lying to. It's that simple. And Jacob's right in the middle of it. Uh, the coveted blessing is covered in verses uh, 27 to 29. And then in, uh, uh, I must have miswritten, in verses 39 to 40, uh, Esau receives this consolation uh, blessing got to be careful when you hit delete you know goes away behold your dwelling uh, shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above but by your sword you shall live esau is getting the consolation blessing at this time uh uh jacob has received the blessing of of uh of isaac but it was fraudulent it was it was obtained by deceit he stole it he stole it. But Esau gets kind of the, the booby prize. 
Your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven and from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Not so cool. And then in 41 to 46, we have Esau's murderous anger and Rebekah's plans for Jacob to escape uh, and his instruction. So that's basically where we went in 27. In, uh, in 28, we changed gears a little bit. Uh, David Guzik's one of my favorite Bible commentators. I love what he wrote about this. When we are willing to abandon the question of right and wrong, when our only concern is what works, we have bought, brought into the modern church the idea of pragmatism as much as the church has today. And this is true. We hear it from Xavier all the time, but it is definitely the truth. I mean, I just ran into someone. We're doing a project at my house, and a, a designer was there that goes to uh, Rick Warren's church. And she understand what's wrong with Rick Warren. You know, well, the fact that he just built his church by totally modern methods, you know, and he didn't let God build it. He used all all of his own ideas. Uh, The worst aspect of all this is they seem to regard the blessing as magical. That's what everybody's looking for, the blessing of, of Isaac, as something detached from God's wisdom and will. But the most Isaac can do is recognize God's call and blessing on Jacob. Only God can truly bestow the blessing. Esau could receive the blessing from Isaac a hundred times, but it only matters if God in heaven honors it. Like X tells us over and over again, it's, it's become you know, part and parcel of my life. God's on the throne, he's in charge, he's not biting his nails. So with more lies and intrigue and drama uh, than any afternoon soap opera, we can move into chapter 28. It amazes me to see what God can accomplish in spite of ourselves, in spite of ourselves. To find absolute proof of this, uh, I suggest we all look at the most obvious example to every one of us. And that's look at our own hearts. Look at our own hearts. That's a revelation of God's patience and grace to us. Mine is. we are children of the Father, disciples and servants of God and Savior, and Creator and Redeemer, and fall under the guidance of the Holy Spirit in spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves. In chapter 27, everyone who's named has some measure of fault and blame. Everybody. Everybody. Uh, in Romans 3, as it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Also, the lineage of our Savior is so flawed, no one can use the excuse that he was born of a holy and pure line. His humanity is much as ours. It's like ours. Uh, look at our, only fi- our own family trees, <laughs> and we just might find some real Looney Tunes swinging in the branches. You know? <laughs> Yet look at us. Look at us. Look what God has done. Last week, Daryl stated, His testimony is history and said, look what the Lord has done. And I say, look at this fool and look at me and see what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done for me. You guys don't know me. I mean, you know, you see this roly-poly little fat old man, you know, and you think, you think, oh, he's a nice guy. You know, you don't know. You don't know where I came from. Is there anyone 
in this room who cannot say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I look around this room and I say, look what the Lord has done, you know, to all of you. You know, it's amazing. It's Tuesday night. You guys could be out taking it easy, kick back on the couch. You could be doing any number of things, but you've come here to a Bible study because you love the Lord, because he loves us. Okay, let's read from Genesis 28, uh, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away, to Padan Aram, to take himself a wife from there. And then as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan, Padan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it in his head and he laid it, laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was sent up, set up on the earth and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put it, put it in his head, and set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city had been, pre, had been loose previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. 
and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, charged him, charged, charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. The word then, uh, it means subsequently or later. So it it's definitely ties 27 and 28 together. Uh, resigning himself finally to the decree that God had given to his wife, uh, we have uh, Jacob now blessing, uh, or Isaac now blessing Jacob. He charges him. He gives him his marching orders. He tells him, this is where you're going. This is what you're going to do. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Uh, Matthew Henry, an old-time uh, commentator, he must not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Those who profess religion should not marry with those that care not for religion. There you go. And that's that's our marching orders too. Uh, you're crazy if you hook up with a non-believer. He's just going to bring you down. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I don't believe there are any Canaanites in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. J- Jacob must take a wife from his people. Uh, and notice this is not presented as a suggestion. It's presented as a command. The specific details are presented to him in verse 2. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Jacob, it would appear, has been instructed to marry one of his first cousins. Okay? The scripture is quite specific about marriages and involving relatives. It's all laid out. But first cousins are not on that list. So uh, there was nothing improper in this command. While Isaac's first blessing to Jacob was not intentional and obtained by deception, this blessing coming up in verse 3 and 4 was intentional. He intended to do this. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples, and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Here's a little refresher. Here's the, here's the blessing of Abraham. Abraham. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. That's Genesis 22, 14 to 19. God rewards faithfulness. He does. I believe this with all my heart. Uh, because it's an attribute of God that he is faithful. And it's pleasing to him to see us be faithful. And we've got to be faithful. 
Sometimes being faithful is not that easy. Sometimes being faithful is not that easy. But if you get in the habit of including God in your life and all of it, I don't, I'll pray for a parking place. There's nothing too little for me to pray for. And, you know, it says uh, in Philippians, you know, be anxious for nothing. And when I'm driving around looking for a parking place and I can't find one, I'm anxious. So I pray. Oh, Lord, give me a good parking place so I can get out of this car. Uh, he rewards faithfulness. We are pleasing to him when we're faithful. Uh, and the events of these chapters uh, only prove God's faithfulness. Isaac's blessing is a continuation of God's blessing to Abraham. And notice that God's blessing in, in indicated that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We, we've always been included. We've always been included right, right from the get-go. Uh, there are no exceptions here. Salvation is ours to accept or reject, but the Gentiles have never been left out. We were in God's plan right from the beginning. And the blessing of Abraham, which is passed on to Jacob, is huge. Verse 5, So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Soon uh, Jacob would meet his uncle, Uncle Laban. And I can't help but think that all that is going on to come down is related to chapter 27. And, and, and boy, does he just about meets his match in Laban. Uh, you know, it, that old saying, I don't, you know, it's, I don't believe in karma, you guys. Don't think for a minute I do. But uh, what goes around comes around. Here's Uncle Laban down the road just waiting for Jacob. And it starts right away. It starts right away. What's that? There you go. <laughs> At this point in time, it would appear that any, not any good would come out of this. Uh, but God proves that he can use any situation or anybody to accomplish his plan. And it's a true story. And if he can make a jackass speak, and assign the most unlikely people to teach Bible studies. <laughs> he can use anything to his purpose. <laughs> he can. <laughs> Jacob obeys and sets, sets out on his journey. In verse 6, uh, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and God in the Padan Aram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Uh, the wives he had were not uh, uh, were not fr they were they were Canaanites, and this grieved uh, uh, Isaac and Rebekah tremendously. Esau is not blameless. And then also in chapter twenty-five, you remember he sold his uh, birthright. He sold his birthright for a bowl of uh, lentils. Uh, the verses following don't make Esau look good. He sounds like a whiny brat. Uh, his dialogue with Jacob in, 
in uh, 25 does not really show either of them to be much more than like spoiled rich kids. That's what they remind me of. Jacob cooked a stew, verse 29. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am, I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? He despised his birthright. He sold it for a bowl of soup. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy, but he did. And, and, and check Jacob out here. I mean, uh, a lot of times we put our, our emphasis on, uh, on Esau that he sold his, his birthright so quickly. But look how quickly Jacob jumps on this. You know, I'm tired, man. Okay. <laughs> you want some soup? Yeah. I got a deal for you, man. Esau's behavior has been less than st- stellar, and Jacob's behavior was also repre- reprehensible. And he jumps on his brother's weakness. Now in verse 6 through 9, Esau seeks to please his father by marrying non-Canaanite women when he saw that Jacob had been obedient. But it was like too little, too late. And that, that's that's the, the big fear I think all of us should have in our lives, to make sure, you know, uh, Richard Nixon said, uh, they asked him, what he would consider a successful life. And he said, to win one more battle than I lost. And and for me, it's to say one more prayer than I needed to, you know, to just stay connected, just stay, at least stay one hep, step a, ahead of the game. Uh, so uh, Esau runs out and gets himself a, a non-Canaanite wife. Uh, reminds me also of my son. My son would always fess up after he did something really big wrong, okay? And and he he wanted an attaboy because he told the truth. Well, I told the truth, didn't I? You know, and it used to crack me up. I go, yeah, but, you know, you crashed the car while you were drunk. You know, well, I told you I was drunk, you know, and I'd go, God, what's wrong with this kid, you know? And that's what it seems like Esau is trying to do. He's trying to get that barn door closed, but the horses are already gone. Uh, verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran. An extremely important period in Jacob's life. You've got to remember, this isn't some casual camp out. You know? He's fleeing for his life. His brother said, as soon as Pops is gone, you are too. You know, I'm going to take you out. And his mom you know, said, hey, get out of here. So he's out of his comfort zone. He's out of that rich kid's uh, heritage that he's been enjoying for so long. Uh, and uh, Guzik, once again, I love to quote Guzik because he just says things in a way I can understand. One can only imagine the strange flood of feelings in Jacob at this moment, the fear, the loneliness, the isolation, the excitement, and the anticipation strategic time in Jacob's life. This was, this was it. Uh, this is a pivotal moment. Until, until now, we're dealing with the old Jacob. Uh, nothing has indicated that, that the man who used a rock for a pillow was anything but the old Jacob. Liar, schemer, thief. Uh, he was desperate. Anybody using a rock for a pillow has got to be desperate. That's the way I see it, you know. 
verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Until now, Jacob's life was not God-centered. He was fleeing for his life. The hopelessness that can come over us without God must have surely come over Jacob. But now, in a dream, God appears to Jacob, and he appears in a positive way. All of us have faced impossible situations without the Lord. And all of us have faced impossible situations with the knowledge, very real knowledge, that God is with us. What a difference. Our hope, therefore, is not in ourselves, but in God. Our inadequacies are so very important to us when we face impossibilities without God. And Jacob was more than likely in such a place. He knew what a, what a, a rat he was. There was probably no doubt in his mind. He's out there. He's probably having a real pity party out there in the weeds. You know, we need a bridge, a way of uh, of reaching heaven. And now this ladder appears to him, going from earth to heaven, and it's like a divine connection. A divine connection is is brought up for him, and he goes from from being alone and hopeless without God to being alone and shattered but now with God. And John, Jesus says, verse 51. I forget what chapter. Uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In uh, 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jacob has a dream and establishes a relationship with God, and he is no longer hopeless. The minute we establish our own personal relationship with the Lord, we're no longer hopeless. We're no longer hopeless. We have hope. I tell the guys at jail, I serve at the prison, I tell them, as long as you've got breath in your lungs, you've got hope. The minute you lost that, you're, then you're going to have to pay whatever dues you set up for yourself. Uh, in my own salvation, you know, some people got some pretty radical stories. Their own testimonies are pretty nuts. And mine isn't. Mine really isn't. Uh, I had, I was, everything was looking pretty good in my life. You know, I had a, I had a good relationship with, with my wife, uh, a good job and a good position in that job. Uh, I had good health. And people have asked me what salvation has done for me and to me. And I'm not, uh, and I know I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not alone in this at all. But without much thought or hesitation, I remember the first time somebody asked me that. Because I was considered a good guy. You're a good guy. You know, what? what's with the salvation stuff? What's this Jesus Christ stuff? You know, what did you get out of it? And I didn't even think about it too much. I said, I have hope. And I didn't realize that I didn't have hope before I came to the Lord. And I didn't. Even though I had all this stuff that looked like it was running pretty good for me, uh, I never for a minute thought that it couldn't be taken away from me. You know, because I saw guys that were like on top of their game and all of a sudden break a leg and come out, you know, go out of the rotation at work or get hurt. Or all of a sudden you found out that his wife cheated on him and his marriage was on the rocks. 
You know, so I never thought for a minute that what I have is so solid. And even now, even now in the Lord, I I still don't think that anything I have around me is forever. Okay? By the same token, I I have the hope that whatever the Lord puts in my life, I will be able to deal with it because of him, not because of me. I believe that also with all my heart. Uh, and uh, it's like when, when in, uh, back in chapter 18 of Genesis, when Abraham and old, old Abraham and old Sarah were told they were going to have a son, and Sarah laughed, the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Somehow I knew there was hope. And beyond my abilities, uh, it was God, and it was mine. That hope was mine. It became mine because God was there. Uh, in our salvation is our hope. But talk about mood swings. Uh, Jacob goes from being this hopeless guy, all of a sudden the heavens open up, he sees the angels going up and down. And on top of that, if it, does, it gets better. It gets better. God talks to him. God talks to him personally. God has never had given me a speech like this. That's okay. I know if he wants to, and if he needs to, he will. Uh, in verse 13, 14, and 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it, above the ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, and to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, Jacob's been blessed three times. And this is the, this is the one, uh, one, one blessing he obtained by deceit. He had this scheme going and he lied to his father and he got blessed. The second was given by his father freely. But now the voice of God blesses him personally. This absolutely validates Isaac's blessing on, on Jacob and proves once again God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Uh, the second blessing was may almighty God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Jacob would never be the same. Jacob would never be the same, just as we will never be the same. In Genesis uh, 12, 1 through 3, and again in Genesis 26, 2 to 5, uh, God has blessed Abraham and Isaac, and in so doing has blessed their progeny, which is Jacob. Once again, we're included in the blessing of Abraham. We're included. We were never left out. He now blesses Jacob. Jacob is on fire. The minute I wrote this, something came up with me. I'm going to take a tiny intermission here. Uh, I want everyone to recall the moment of their salvation uh, and the time directly following it. And if anyone feels like the Fire is burned down like a, a campfire just before bedtime. Uh, it's time to throw a big armful of logs on that fire. And I want, I want to just take 
a quick moment. Let's all pray for ourselves and for each other that our fire, the salvation of Jesus Christ, would be stirred and rekindled and would burn brightly once again. And fueled by prayer, God's word, and the fellowship of the saints, let us pray that we tend our fires diligently and that we would stay blazing to God's glory. Let's do that. Let's take just a second. Pray for yourselves. Pray for each other. Father, I feel when the when the fire goes down at the end of the day, Lord, I pray you throw the logs on for me, Lord. And when, when I can't chop wood, I pray you help me chop wood. And I pray that you be there for us and that the fire that we felt so brilliantly uh, when we came to you for the first time, Lord, that it would not diminish, that it would not go out. Lord, fan that flame. Fan that flame and let us burn bright, brightly, Lord, to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Jacob was correct in sensing the presence of God, but wrong if he supposed that God was in some places and not in others. Uh, the last chapter, uh, Jacob had been guilty in planning, executing the deception of his father. Uh, chapter 25, he had brought, bought his brother's birthright. Uh, this was not an innocent act. He took advantage of the situation, as I said. And uh, he might have... Think of how it could have gone the opposite direction. Esau could have walked in and said, oh, I'm famished. I'm really tired. I'm really hungry. And Jacob could have said, here, let me give you a bowl of soup that I just made. It's really good. Uh, but now Jacob uh, is a different person. And aren't we at least a little bit like Jacob when we <laughs> when we step from stupid, unrepentant, not believer, non-believer to sinner saved by grace and in wonder in our own lives, Lives say, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. You know, don't we? Don't we do that? It, it's the same thing that we do. It's like you, all of a sudden, the next morning, you wake up and you go, "Wow, things are a little bit different now. Things aren't exactly like they were." You know, and it's a beautiful thing, and the Lord builds on that. I, don't, I can't remember who it was. It was either Don or or Daryl's telling us about somebody that included the Lord in everything he did. Uh, it was like he cut a window opening and said, oh, Lord, help me measure right. Oh, Lord, help me get this window in right. And and the guy just prayed about everything he did in the course of a day. So how do you pray without ceasing? Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. One of the ways is just to include the Lord in everything. Well, I didn't want to bother God. I love that. I didn't want to bother God. You know, oh, God's not interested in whether or not I find a parking place. He is. He is. He is interested. He cares. What does it say in Peter? Cast your cares upon him for he, cast your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So as we grow in our walk with the Lord, his presence becomes more and more apparent to us. To feel the presence of God in our lives is awesome. Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. After the revelation of his dream and hearing the voice of God speaking to him, what else could Jacob think? What else could he think? Of course he was afraid. Godly fear is the reverence we have for God and it's how we approach him. I, I think Oprah said one time she got all tweaked because she 
put her, put an end to God in her life when she found out that he was a jealous God. You know? Yeah, he loves you that much. He loves you that much. He doesn't want you straying away. And when we approach God, godly fear is reverence. Godly fear. When I first read, you know, you, you learn as you read the Bible, it says godly fear. I thought, well, what does that mean exactly? Reverence. It means revering God. You know, and you can do that. Sure, you can do it in a sunrise or a sunset and go, wow, look at that, you know. But you can do it in a dewdrop too, you know, just a little, little speck of water and you go, wow, look at that. I think always being able to be a kid, it's important to be a kid, you know. And Jesus said, you know, let the little children come to me. You know, too many, too many of us have grown up. I'm 72 years old and I got a long ways to go before I'm growing up, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm not real anxious for it. Uh, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on it. Verse 18. The significance of this place compelled Jacob to do something by which the spot could be remembered and sanctified. It's not unusual for stones to be set up as altars at different times and for different reasons. Genesis thirty-one forty-five, Exodus twenty-four four, Joshua twenty-four twenty-six to twenty-seven, First Samuel seven through twelve, Joshua four. I, I'm going to read you this because I think this is so cool, and there's a particular reason for this. Joshua four verse one, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, "Take for yourselves twelve men from the people." one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, one out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark, the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan, each one of you take one each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. These aren't little stones, uh, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign. Here we go. Among you, when your children ask in time to, to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. I have in my heart, in my mind, set up stones. Uh, I have little things that remind me of what God has done for me. Uh, And we can all have our stones. I don't worship them. I worship God. There's a great guitar maker named Richard Hoover in his film clip. He's... He's walking through these trees and he goes, he's looking around. He goes, I revere wood, he says. I revere wood. He says, I worship the creator, (laughs) but I revere wood. And I feel the same way. I worship these moments in my life, but I I worship God. That's who I'm worshiping. Verse 19, and he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz, Luz previously. Bethel means house of God. Loose means almond tree. And he called the name of the place Bethel. The city of Bethel plays an important, though not glorious, role in Israel's history. Second only to Jerusalem. 
in the number of times mentioned in the Old Testament. It would eventually be a high place, uh, notorious for idolatrous sacrifice. Verse 20, 21, 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing, clothing to put on, so I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house, and all of you, all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Jacob's vow. Okay. It was difficult for me to get a precise commentary on this. Uh, The word if can be translated as since, some of the older commentaries, commentators have said. Matthew, Henry, uh, Barnes, Benson, But there's a huge difference in the words if and since. The word if is a word of doubt. The word since is a statement of fact. Okay. So I say, I want to buy a good car, but I only have money for a bad car. But you tell me you're going to give me a bunch of money to buy a car. Then I can say, if you're going to give me a bunch of money, then I'll buy a good car. Okay. So my initial reading of this whole thing, uh, I was prejudiced against Jacob. I I didn't think Jacob was very cool. So what I saw when I first read this was, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. But that's not the way, very few commentators looked at it that way. That's the way I was looking at it. Uh, But it was created by my prejudice for Jacob because of all the things he had done in chapter 27. Uh, After all, he was a real scallywag. Uh, So if I read it with an if, I saw Jacob as doubting God's promises and and in his doubt, attempting to make a deal with God. But wouldn't that diminish? I finally got to this. Wouldn't that diminish his encounter with God? I, I can't believe after his dream, his vision, after hearing God's voice speaking to him directly, uh, that it didn't have a huge, huge impact on Jacob. Uh, all I did, all I ever did was raise my hand in response to an altar call. It wasn't too long before God started working on me. You know, I mean, it was a, it was a real lukewarm kind of thing on my part. Uh, I didn't have this incredible revelation and testimony. You know, the heavens didn't open up. I didn't hear the angels singing, but they were, they were, uh, So I can't believe for a second that Jacob wasn't radically transformed. And when God said, God's promise, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Do you think Jacob said, Really? Prove it to me. I don't believe he said that. I think at this point in time, Jacob Jacob was on fire. Uh, He dedicates this stone as a place of worship. If we allow ourselves to get caught up in the intrigue and circumstances of these two chapters, it's easy to lose sight of God's love for us and his desire to see everyone saved. <laughs> we can't be Jonah's, you know. God says, go to, uh, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes, I hate those people. I don't want them saved. Uh, 
And he doesn't, re- he doesn't require or, or need our perfection uh, to accomplish his will. He's perfect. He doesn't need me to be perfect, to use me. He didn't need Jacob's perfection. Jacob was far from perfect, right? Uh, and he says that you may be an assembly of peoples and, and give you the blessing of Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I've always been included. And Jacob received these, these blessings from God himself. So it was since you have, not if. Uh, as it reads. I'm sure if you go back some translations, you're going to find that the confusion isn't there. Uh, The goodness of God in using a sinful man like Jacob and including him in the lineage of Jesus. uh, We can't sell ourselves short. Don't sell yourself short. Uh, God can do anything and he can use anyone to do it. I don't know what God has in store for us, but I'm excited. I am excited. And why, you might ask, in this modern age is so totally messed up. Simply put, because his love for us is perfect, his plan for us is perfect, and like I said earlier, he's in charge. His plan is perfect. His, His love for us is perfect. That goes for each and every one of us. We're all sinners saved by grace, and that's enough for me. God can accomplish so much in us and through us. All we got to do, all we got to do is get out of his way and let him do his work. But we're right in the middle of it too much. I'm close with this. Uh, Billy Graham said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word. It edifies us. It gives us uh, courage. It gives us logic on which it hang our our minds on and you bless us lord and you show us the way there's no no wonder about what we do we thank you lord for this wonderful gift of the bible and we pray that every day we would spend time with it and learn i thank you lord for your love your grace your mercy and again lord your patience and i pray in jesus name amen Amen.